This week on Overtime Live, we get a chance to talk about, again, what it means to be scattered together with some of my favorite people. You don't want to miss this one. Make sure you like and subscribe. Let's go. Welcome to Center City Overtime, a weekly podcast where we take a little more time to dive into Sunday's message. And we are here with round two of Center City Overtime Live. Y'all give a little cheer. Yeah. So glad to have you. And um, we also have some new guests with us today. So because we are recording on Valentine's Day, this will be released the day after, but we can celebrate love more than one day of the year. Um, we have two couples. We're calling this Fifth Wheel with Pastor Ashley. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and so as I introduce our guests tonight, I'm also going to ask how they met their spouse. So um, we're going to actually start over here with Ray and Christine Hernandez. And um, yeah, go ahead and go ahead and tell us how you met. Uh, we met through mutual friends. Um. And it, was it like a, was it a love at first sight or was it like, eh, I don't know. It, it was for me. Yeah, it was. It was. Yes. That's awesome. And how long have you been married? 35 years in June. That's awesome. We can clap for that. Yeah. <laughs> So um, Ray and Christine have both been group leaders here, just done tremendous things for group life and just feeling like family here at Center City. They actually won. We do Golden Apple Awards for our volunteers, and they won the Helping People Find Family Award this year. So I'm so glad to have you here as part of our Scattered Together series. And then on this couch, we have Pastor John, who you know, but also his lovely wife, Jess. And um, how did you guys meet? I know this is going to come as a shock, but we met at church. Wow. <laughs> and, um, and how it wasn't old was our church? You? That was a friend's church. So there. How old was I? I was 15. Yeah. I was 25. No. Ew. <laughs> Ew. Just I'm going to help you, though, because you're going to have to speak into that thing. There you go. Perfect. Um, I was uh, 16 when we met. And... Um, the story goes that I was playing percussion <laughs> for a French church. They invited me to play some Spanish percussion that day. And it wasn't my church. And she was visiting for the first time. It wasn't her church. And like I saw her word. walk in. And I looked over at my friend. I leaned over. I said, see that girl? I'm going to marry her. And um, she, till this day, does not believe that I do story. Not believe that. <laughs> no. no, I don't. But every time that kid's in the room, I ask him about the kid. He's a grown man with like 15 kids at this point. But every time I ask him, he's like, yeah, no, I was there. I, I remember it just like that. So yep. um, funny, funny thing. Neither one of us went to that church. Yep. So next week I went to my youth group and uh, into the back of the youth group walks Jessica again. So I knew I knew I was I was acting in my prophecy. I was in my prophecy <laughs> bag. And how long have you been married? It'll be. What are you looking at? <laughs> Uh, you look like 20, you were quick to answer. Then you pause a minute. <laughs> um, 25 years year. in August. That's right. Boom. Yeah, congratulations. Let's go. Awesome. Now, as brothers, let's hear some interesting stories from growing up. That's a different <laughs> I podcast. do have a funny one, though. Okay, we'll take it. Um, my brother Ray. Yeah. My brother Ray was Jessica's Sunday school teacher. Yep. For high school Sunday school class. It was the first time I had been like in a high school age group like that because we had gone to a really tiny church after my mom got saved for maybe like a year 18 months and that church closed down so then we went to like the obnoxious big youth group church you guys if you if you guys have grown up in ag you know that there's like a district church and like there's a big one and those kids are the worst <laughs> and i really didn't want to go there and that's where i met him but 
<laughs> not that anybody's obnoxious, but they were fantastic high school teachers. And Ray used to tell stories about John all the time, but he never named him. So I was like, where's this little brother that you're always talking about? Right. <laughs> hmm. So I thought that was a unique story. Yeah, that's cool. I love that. Um, well, we are in our Scattered Together series, which um, I guess we're wrapping up our Scattered Together series. It was a mini series. Um, but this week you preached a lot about what keeps us together as Christians. And the first kind of point that you brought up was being devoted to the word. And you made this point about how we um, when we study the word alone, we can kind of get in the silo and not not have that correction that we need. Um, and then when we are only hanging out in groups of people without studying the word ever, it's just like fun, but we never really grow necessarily. And um, so the first question I wanted to ask, which is for everyone on the panel, is it a panel when you're on couches? I think it's so. a panel tonight. <laughs> um, is is there a season of your life, can you think of a group that you've been part of or a Bible study or even a Sunday school class that you've been part of where you studied the word of God with other people that was really transformative in your own life and faith walk? And I did not give them any of the questions ahead of time, just like as the questions come in from you guys. So they haven't been prepped for this. <laughs> we'll edit out the silence. I, I can go first. I think there was a... A special time for me was, sorry, in uh, Christian Life Center. Uh, Max Sheary, the pastor over there, he had uh, Assemblies of God, especially back then, was really good with um, with Bible studies. And we had a series known as the, um, the Bereans. And uh, that was a time and Ambassador's Commission kind of at the same time where we got together with a lot of like-minded men. And we really dove into the word with the pastors that we had. And it was... You talk about, I think the word you use was formative. Mm -hmm. It was, it was life changing. Uh, we left that class all the time looking at each other like, wow. Uh, what do you think it, what do you think it was that made it that way? Uh, I think, well, I guess the purpose of the class too, because what, what it was designed to do was of course, educate people, men, especially in, in the area of biblical studies, but to prepare them for the calling that God had on their lives. And uh, um, I mean, that's all of us, right? Mm -hmm. But when you take a, a group of men or a group of women and you identify that's the reason you're there and you dive in the way we did, you come out changed. Yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. that's awesome. Yep, it's pretty awesome. That's cool. Mm -hmm. You good? We can go. Uh, this has been so many different um, opportunities that I've been blessed with. Christian Life Center, young in my development, there was a um, a class in our youth ministry called Safari <laughs> 1000, mm -hmm. safe, filled, rooted, and equipped. I still remember the acronym. Yeah. That's crazy. Okay. Uh, our youth pastor. Youth pastors really love acronyms. I'm not sure what that's about. <laughs> Curtis Cook. <laughs> so Curtis Cook brought us through uh, a study, um, and I was so good at it, I went through it three times. Um, <laughs> that's because I didn't finish it two times. But the third time, I really got that thing. Um, <laughs> but I remember it being really difficult and challenging across the board. There was a, a, a deep level of accountability that was critical. Um, and you just couldn't, like, you weren't allowed to just walk through the class. There was just a lot of accountability to conversation, which I really mm -hmm. appreciated. So that was a big one for me. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good one. What about the ladies? Yeah. I mean, I, there's, again, a lot of highlights. I think probably most impactful to me and transforming. We, um, 
did a like a young marrieds couple group. We partnered with um, another couple who had been married probably 15, 20 more years than us. Yeah. And so it really brought in a really wonderful range of ages in the group and different experience levels in marriage. And so there were some newlyweds. There were some people who had been married for, you know, eight or 10 years, 15 years. And so we um, co-led that with them, but it was so fun learning about other people's marriages, other people's walks, and also a really unique opportunity to kind of have vision in both directions. Like, hey, young people who are just married a year and everything's wonderful. It's going to be awful in like eight months. <laughs> just kidding. Um, so when it becomes awful, we can look at these people who've been married for 25 years. Look, they made it. How'd you make it work? And so it was just really a, a cool mix, a cool dynamic, um, but just really educational and really um, formational as far as like bonding friends together in a real unique way. So that was, I That's think, a, a transformational one. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I love what you bring up there, that idea of having people in different life stages and being able to learn from one another, because sometimes we can get caught up in that, like, I'm only talking to people who are in my life stage and thinking like me and what wisdom to gain um, from people older and younger, just different perspective. That's I think, cool. I think that's kind of the the beauty of uh, learning and studying the, the writings of the apostles, the way the book of Acts writes it. But what we know is the word of God in the context of community that communal study, not it, it's not just me walking through words on a page, but able to take those ideas that sometimes are crazy. Sometimes you just get crazy ideas and you need people who are able to look you in the face and say, you crazy. Um, yeah. yeah, that's not what that says. Yeah. It's not, um, but it should. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but it, it is, it's, it's very much necessary within the scope of our walk to just make sure, um, because again, community, uh, uh, theology outside of community has a tendency of being very self-seeking and toxic if, if you're not careful. Yeah. What about you? Um, thinking back, um, I think the most impactful time for me was when we started doing care groups at our church in Florida. And Ray and I were care group leaders. But even though we were leaders, it it gave us the opportunity to meet other couples and it was a gathering where our kids could come to. So, you know, our kids made friends and it just felt comfortable for me mm -hmm. to be with other married couples and kind of like what Jess said, you know, learn about their life and learn, um, you know, we're kind of all going through this stuff together, you know, being young married families. So. Care groups were, were big for me. Yeah, I love um, that reality. Like it's one thing to come in and sit with a group of people that you don't know well, and you can still open the word and get a lot out of it. But when it's people that you're seeing week after week who see you on those days that like, especially if you're coming in with your kids, you can't hide sometimes right? <laughs> <laughs> what, what state you're coming in yep. to the group with and to still open up that word and, yeah. and just know each other. Um, yep. There is so much that can come from that. That's, yeah, that's really helpful. If you're not in a group, 
consider joining a group. That's not that that plug wasn't written in my plan, but <laughs> um, yeah, it was. This whole sermon it was is in my a plug in my brain. Next. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we did get a question kind of along this line of being devoted to the word from someone who did not want to come up into the microphone. So I'll do my best to honor that question. And if the person out in the room thinks I didn't explain it well. He can come up to the microphone and ask. Or she, because um, we don't know. It's, it's a he. Um, Apparently Ashley okay. knows. But listen, I'm not saying who it is. Um, so this is, it says, can you explain why the word has to be the absolute truth for determining right and wrong actions versus what we feel or what culture says? A, um, that's a great question. So, um I, I wish I can sit here and rattle off scripture uh, like an encyclopedia, but unfortunately they haven't figured out how to put chat GDP in my brain yet. Um, <laughs> they probably I, will. They, yeah, no, they definitely will. <laughs> um, but so, so much of why we trust scripture, um, you can take it from the historical perspective. It's the most trustworthy book of all antiquity. It, what I mean by that is um, we have more evidence to the historical reli uh, re um, reliance on Scripture, the, the historical accuracy of Scripture. Uh, we have more physical, historical evidence to that than any other book of antiquity. We know more uh, uh, about the history of the Bible and the characters within the Bible historically than, you know, people like Alexander the Great. Um, there, there's been more historical cont uh, proof and evidence of the Bible's reliability. Uh, there's also a spiritual component to this that as much as, uh, you know, I love being able to sit here and give you dates and, and talk about um, how the word of God was handed down and what the, that copying process looked like, because it's, it's amazing. There's also a spiritual context to this. The, the word of God is, is just packed full with how the Spirit of God illuminates Scripture. And then when you read Scripture, it's really definitive that it is it is what, um, and I actually read one of those passages this week, that it is what the, dictates to us. It gives us the sense of direction, what is right and wrong. Um, it is the foundation by which the church is established. And I would argue it's the reason why thousands of years later, so much of our fundamental belief does not stray far away from what these people believe thousands of years ago. Think about that for a moment, because in every other walk of life with every other belief that you have, rewind thousands of years and you would find there's just radical variations from those foundational truths. It's not Jesus is still Lord. He is the only way. What we're saying today was said thousands of years ago by Paul and those, those even before Paul who walked with Jesus. So um, th that's some of the reliability of scripture first historically, and then also as it pertains to the spirit. And, uh, what I love about the word of God is it is alive and active. I don't have to prove scripture to you. If you trust in scripture, it will prove itself over and over again, faithful. And I love that. That's always been one of my favorite things about the Bible. Yeah. Yeah. Does anyone have other thoughts to add to that? I like what John, I like what John brought up right away. Because uh, it, it reminded me of one of the life-changing courses that we had back in CLC, and it had to do with manuscriptual evidence, right? And it had to do with the authenticity of Scripture and the rules of that. And when you apply it to anything, any other type of literature in the world, nothing Not even close. comes close. Not even close. 
And then on top of that, just my, my walk with Christ, there's several times where I would question and I would see what is the alternative. And you tell me, I don't care where you go, you're not going to find anything like the word of God. Where could you go? So if you, you jump outside of the word of God, then it becomes subjective. And if it's subjective, then just throw everything out the door mm -hmm. and forget it. you got a wild world. And the only thing that keeps this world centered, I think, is the, the, the objectiveness of, of the word of God. That's yeah. good stuff. I feel like for me, it's an issue of surrender, um, especially having had a chance to learn and trust that reliability of scripture. Then when those things come up, when I read something that rubs me the wrong way, which does happen as a pastor, sometimes I'm just like, oh, that's I don't think that's what I would teach God. Um, it's that it's it's really that time for me to remember that I'm not God. And um, if I have chosen to claim God as Lord of my life, then he actually has to be Lord of my life. And so yeah. in those moments, that's when it helps to have other people around to like be open with what I'm wrestling with and, and to help me understand as best as I can. But when I can't fully understand why God would say something at the end of the day, I have to make that choice that he's God. I know that good. he is good and I can trust him in that, even if I don't understand yeah, um, I'm excited about our next series. Um, we'll talk a little bit towards the end, but we're going to walk through the temptation of Jesus. And what you see is what he's being tempted with is the alternative, right? So when Jesus is approached in the desert, he's asked all these questions about identity. He's asked all these questions about his, his power and dominion. And what Jesus always goes back to is the word of God says, Right. Mm -hmm. So it's a reminder that often in our temptations, we're drawn away. The alternative to a life based on the foundation of the word, word can be a life that's based off of our appetites. That's scary. A, a, a life based off of our own idea of what our identity is. That's scary. So like even in the example of Jesus, you see he chooses the foundation of the word to establish the way that he navigates life. And we should, too. Yeah. Yeah, that's really good. We're getting so many questions. I'm really, thank you. Let's go. Um, so glad. John, show it's the crowd real also quick. Making my show phone. the crowd real quick. Yes. Say <laughs> hey, what's up, tables. I um, love it. It's making my phone freeze up a little bit, so I'm getting to them <laughs> as quickly as I can, and I love it. Um, one of the things that's coming up a lot, I'm going to kind of skip towards the end of your sermon and then maybe yeah, come back yeah. to the middle point, but you used this um, illustration with the weights. Yeah. And um, will you just explain the illustration really quickly and then yeah, I'll so ask the question. Scripture speaks about this idea of bringing our burden, like sharing our burdens. And um, so what I did is I brought a dumbbell up with some weights. And of course, they're John Gonzalez's weights. He was on last week's episode. And um, he put like 250 pounds on this barbell. I thought I could lift it because he carried it in like it was easy. And then I tried and it was impossible. <laughs> um, but then I brought two people on the stage and I'm like, all right, well, just help me lift this bar. And it's it's a no brainer. Actually, um, somebody Sunday after the illustration, um, after the service was like, I saw you bring people on the stage and I thought, nah, duh. <laughs> I was like, you, you, this is my people you use the phrase, nah, duh. Anyway, um, <laughs> but then I asked them to grab these 45 pound plates that were right behind us. Now try to lift it. Now, I, again, they could have done it, but it's cumbersome. 
Um, so I, I think often in the faith, we think the expectation is that we have to figure out how as a community, we're supposed to hold each other's weight up and carry this burden. But every other passage in scripture, when it talks about burden, Jesus is saying, come to me uh, who are heavy burden and I'll give you rest. He, uh, um, um, in, in all things, like when you're heavy burdened or anxious in all things, prayer. I think that's Philippians is the passage. So ultimately what we see over and over in the New Testament is Jesus saying, it's great that you're sharing each other's burdens, but it's only so that you can show each other and lead each other to this place where you're learning your burdens down at the cross because none of us were created to carry the weight of our burden and sin. The objective is to, to, to help each other. What I, the phrase I use was rack the weight, to, to place the weight on the, on the one who came in order to grab a hold of that burden. And um, I, I just, as I was studying this week, I, I felt a freedom with the idea, oh, you mean that I'm not supposed to carry my own weight, then figure out how to carry Alan's weight, then figure out how to carry Jennifer's weight. No, no, the objective is to figure out collectively how we can move to the cross with our burden. So Alan wants to know how much he has to be able to bench for you to call him up for a demonstration. <laughs> I mean, at this point, he benches more than I do. So uh, yeah. <laughs> next time. So um, Amanda Haygood had a question. Do you want to come up and ask it or do you want me to, to ask it? Okay. Um, no one is ever going to use that mic. I know, but it, it does work. It does work this time. Um, so her question is about being the hands and feet of Christ without trying to be Christ. Mm. And she says, how do you avoid the kind of carrying each other's burdens in which you're taking on extra weight rather than taking it to the cross? That's good. Um, I often think of the fruit that my effort produces, right? So I'm a, a big, what is the fruit of this? And if, again, uh, we'll just pick on Alan. He calls me because, you know, his hair's all over the place and he needs me to help him braid his hair. If, um, if me acting in that place to help Alan carry that burden brings me to a point of anxiety and frustration and worry and fear and doubt, I've probably overstepped. Does that make sense? I, I've probably overstepped. Does that mean you don't help? No, I engage to the point that I can, but you can't force people to do stuff they don't wanna do. Like that's just a, the nature of it. So there is this careful balance and the way that I navigate that balance is I am a, a, a constant evaluator. Like I'm, what's the fruit of this? And there are times where I would extend, you know, that grace in longer seasons because I'm seeing the fruit and my heart's in the right place and I have more bandwidth. But then there's other seasons where I, I have to be mindful of that and make sure that I'm walking in a healthy place. Yeah. I think too, it's a matter of remembering who you are in the process. Mm -hmm. Um and keeping a good idea of humility about yourself. Come on. I know I'm a firstborn. Woohoo. Firstborns. <laughs> um, but I'm also like a very like type A personality. I want to get in and get things done and get things fixed. Not you. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, Jackie. And so um, I have a hard time, you know, letting people know when I need help or accepting help. And so if someone asks me for help, I'm like, all right, come on, let's get let's go get it done. Like, like let's, let's go do it. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it, it's like almost like mom syndrome. Like it's faster if you do it than like watching them painfully go, go painfully, excruciatingly slowly and still get it wrong. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm just like, I can do this better myself. Right. 
And that is that's that's a bit of pride rising up, like knowing that I might be taking in a step or putting myself in a place where I'm actually blocking the Lord from helping that person or saying what they need to say to that person or teaching what they need to teach that person. So for me, I have to constantly remind myself, like, I'm just part of this process, but I'm not the person who's fixing this. Like, the Lord has to lead this person to where they need to go. I can support, but I can't do it for you. Yeah, that's really good. I feel like both of you have very shepherding hearts, and a lot of times this can be a real challenge for people who are natural shepherds because it's just that, like, that gift and inclination to help, but then taking it too far to an unhealthy level. Have you had situations like that where there were, where that was tough and how did you kind of learn to let go? And how'd you kick your little brother out of your house? <laughs> you don't have to name him. <laughs> um, definitely. There's definitely been situations where, you know, you just kind of, you know, Lord, what's my role in this? You know, what am I doing? But I kind of, may sound weird but I kind of look at it as like a mom you know because we're all children of God right we're all made in his image we're not God and those of us that come to us with those struggles you know I kind of look at it like okay maybe I'm gonna I can lighten this for you a little bit just by the fact of you sharing it with me and maybe then it's a little lighter but ultimately only Jesus can do that for you. That's you good. know, I can't be Jesus for you. And you just kind of have to keep that outlook of it's not my it's not my cross to bear. You know, it's take it to the cross, like you said on Sunday, you know. But I do feel like there's a lot of value in gaining the trust of someone to where they can feel like they can come to you and share that instead of keeping it all bottled That's up. Good. Because when you keep it all bottled up, you know, the enemy keeps you right there isolated, like, you know, you're on an island by yourself and there's no help for you. But, you know, that's I would rather someone come to me and share that burden and get it off their chest. That's good. Yeah. Do you have any anything to add? I think one of the things you need to to also learn is to be able to say no sometimes. Mm-hmm. I think we can spread our ourselves just too thin, and we lose our effectiveness. Especially when you're really young in the ministry and you're motivated and you're just ready to go. And I see a lot of people in the ministry get burnt out, and that's not getting burnt out. It's not really part of God's plan for us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's that's really good. I um I have a question kind of along these lines from someone who in all caps said, do not make me come up there, so I won't. Um, <laughs> but if you want to come up, anyone, you will be welcome. Um, that says, in a culture where we're taught to be independent and take responsibility, what are some practical ways to surrender that burden to the Lord and to, to practice that when we realize we're, we're taking on, whether it's ours or someone else's burden? Yeah, I mean, if y'all don't say something, I'm going to just explode for 15 minutes. So. I mean, the first thing that comes to my mind practically is to journal it, write it down, oh, get it out, mm-hmm. get it on paper. Um, a lot of times when it's stuck inside, it seems so much more um, ominous. Mm. And then when you get it out and you, you know, you make that journal as part of your prayer then you can go back and you can see how God has moved and changed it. That's really good. Yeah. 
I think uh, independence in in today's culture is uh, become uh, to some degree an idolatry. And if if <clears throat> I don't know how much we want to go down this rabbit trail, <laughs> I think some of that is also connected to our Western culturalized mindset, um, our American Christianity. And I am a I am a proud American. I love this country. I am not a fan of what's happening within the scope of our church world as it pertains to this. There is nothing in scripture that points to this idea of pick yourself up by your bootstraps. You can do it by yourself. Mm, Um, What we read about Jesus is that the moment he steps into ministry, he surrounds himself. Uh, What we read about Paul is the moment that Paul comes into that conversion season, he's surrounded. Um, there is nothing in scripture that points to this idea that you can do it by yourself. So that idolatry that has slipped into our, our mindset as it pertains to the scripture and when it pertains to our relationship with God, will absolutely, I'm a firm believer that one of the biggest tools of the enemy is isolation. Mm-hmm. You struggle with your sin by yourself. You struggle with your doubts by yourself. You struggle with your anxieties by yourself. Listen, when we say groups are important here at Center City, I don't know how you do a faith walk without people. I mean, I'll go a step further. I love Sunday mornings. Y'all know that about me. I love preaching the word. I love worship. I I love every aspect about Sunday morning. If all you do is Sunday morning, there's a really good chance you're struggling in your faith journey. You you need people. You need community. Um, So I I am so anti this quote unquote independence. Listen, I, I I come from a really strong family unit too. So maybe this is some of my family structure, but mom and dad to this day, if Jess were to leave me with everything uh, for everything, just take the boys, take the house, put it on a U-Haul. I don't know how you get my house on a U-Haul. Um, this scenario doesn't seem possible. No, it doesn't. No, not at all. But I, I just, I can't imagine a scenario where I'm alone and and this idea that somehow that's success. You get to the top of all that you were trying to do and you got no one to share it with. That just sounds miserable to me. So I love Chris, uh, Chris's explanation in a practical way. Journaling really does help identify some of those idolatries that you're holding on to. And when you bring that thought to scripture, you're going to find how scripture begins to correct and move you from what's wrong to what's right, from what's unhealthy to what's healthy. And journaling is a really good way to do that. Yeah. I even sometimes journal and then I do the like, they're known as youth group activities, but I think that's silly because they're helpful for adults too, like where you actually burn the journal in a safe environment or um, (laughs) do something where you, you actually like, do some sort of surrender. Like I think of those youth group things where they'll be like, come nail this to the cross. And I don't have a cross that I could nail something to at home, but, but doing something tactile to actually like release whatever that thing is. Um, I have gone with a friend to float flowers before it was connected to grief, but was still this form of surrender to the Lord of I'm letting this go and I'm going to watch, watch you carry this. Um, find, find those youth group activities if that's helpful, like if you are a practical person like I am, do this impractical activity that um, that is tangible. I love that. Um, the other thought 
that I have is that sometimes we trust people one time and um, then our problem doesn't go away as fast as we thought it would. And we feel like we are continuing to be a burden. And so there can be this temptation to let people in one time and then not want to over overshare, not want to overburden. They have too much on them where we've kind of projected that idea of the guys holding the 45 pound yeah. weights. And the reality is like sometimes we don't understand why God doesn't heal someone in a moment or this issue doesn't go away in a moment. But that doesn't mean to stop sharing. It doesn't mean to take it back on continue like even when it doesn't make sense when you when you feel like you're doing these practical things and they're not helping keep doing them because you just don't know when that moment is going to be where there is that breakthrough where you do realize oh I have I have transformed I'm not the same person that I was six months ago um, it's sometimes slow but keep doing it don't do it once and then be like that didn't work I'm gonna take all of my burdens back on myself yeah I, I just for for maybe those who are here or maybe those who are watching online and you struggle with pe church people like that I, and i've heard that phrase i just i just really struggle with church people you are putting an undue weight on some people that that's not fair um your expectation is church people are going to be perfect in helping you navigate burden and i'm just going to tell y'all i've been let down by church people the same way I've been let down by coworkers, the same way I've been let down by people, friends from school, the same way I've been let down by neighbors, because ultimately all of us struggle in our humanity. And we, 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 it just drives me a little crazy. If I'm being honest, the, the unnormal amount of, of stress that's placed on church people relationships we all fail. Matter of fact, it's what draws me to community because I want to know that there's other people who screw up like I do, right? <laughs> so in that, I would say, make sure that if you've given up on quote unquote church people, check your heart, find yourself in a place of humility and re-engage in good relationships. And what you'll find is they're just like you. Like all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us struggle. All of us are not going to be perfect. But if I waited for perfect people to make friends and to do life with people, I would still be waiting. And P.S. They'd be waiting for me. So I just I implore I implore you, like if you gave up on church because of people, you were going to church for the wrong reason. Anyway, we we don't we're not here because of people. We're here because of Jesus. But then he turns around and says, you're going to love these people. Yeah. So I don't know. Yeah. I mean, growing up for us, um, I got saved when I was 14. We didn't really go to church before that. Um, but once I, like, became a regular part of, like, the youth ministry at the church we were at, um, the most impactful thing was those youth leaders and those adults that were in the room just inviting us over and watching imperfect people do life yeah. <laughs> um, and you know they had kids running around and their house was a mess and you know and they were getting home late and trying to cook dinner and all that kind of stuff but they opened the door they just cracked open the door to say come come watch me do life and I'm gonna love Jesus mm -hmm. and I'm gonna get it wrong a couple times and that's okay but this is real this is authentic mm -hmm. this is how people manage this relationship and so, you know, for me, it's it's having I don't I don't have a lot of people that I spend a lot of time with, um, but I have a very close knit group of friends who like know all the things, 
right? <laughs> Those are the people that you call when like everything's blown up or when you're, you know, like I'm done doing this thing. <laughs> um, so have your people, have your people. And if you don't have people, invite people. Yeah. Like not just out to lunch at some sterile location, but like <laughs> come to my house <laughs> where my laundry's piled up by yeah. the sofa yeah. and where my child may run around yeah. naked. Listen. I don't know. <laughs> you never know what you're going to get. I, um, and I think that that authenticity and yeah. that level of vulnerability right. allows you to be real with people mm -hmm. and be on a real journey with other like-minded believers. Yeah. As pastors, we get invited from time to time to people's houses and I sweat it. Because I'm like, oh, you know what's happening right now. We're driving there and they are freaking out, making sure everything's Instagram ready. And I'm like, <laughs> if they would just see my bedroom right now, like they would be fine. I got a chain. Um, let me clarify. Your my side, side of, the of the bedroom. <laughs> Absolutely. But to this day, Greg and Essie, Ray and Christine, uh, Ernie and Melissa, we can go down the list. Billy and Shay, we can go down the list of these incredible couples that at 16 and 17 invited us over. We watched them correct their kids as they were acting crazy. We watched, you know, them walk in and they're there. We watched they're, them argue. Those, <laughs> those, those pseudo arguments that happen in front of company. You know what I'm talking about? Like, you know, they're arguing, yeah. but they're trying not to. They're um, not moving their lips very much. <laughs> 20 some odd years later uh, in, in our personal in our marriage even we take lessons from those moments they have formed us yeah so if you are waiting for perfect people they're not coming p.s there's nothing perfect people can teach you there is nothing they can teach you. And nothing they can learn. And nothing they can, come on somebody. Wow. <laughs> Sorry. Get her on the stage on a Sunday. Let's go. I tried. Um, I will just like to throw this out as the single person who lives alone. Two thoughts. First, for a long time, I felt like I couldn't have people over because I had a really tiny apartment and I lived alone and what family was going to want to like come cram into my apartment. And I ended up, one of the first things that I had was a Thanksgiving dinner. There are a couple people in the room who came to it. I don't know if you remember, this was like 2019. It was before COVID. People literally had to get up and walk into the hallway if someone needed to go to the bathroom <laughs> to get around the table, which was my like balcony table that I had brought in and thrown a dollar store tablecloth over. But it was so freeing to realize like, I can still invite people yeah. into my space. Yeah. This isn't something that is only limited to families who seem to already like have it figured out and all together because I've been around enough families. No one has it all figured out. Um, but I would also say if you know someone, like if you are a family and you know someone who lives alone, sometimes it is hard. Like there are some families that just wouldn't fit in my apartment. It's easier for you to invite someone into your space, even though that does come with a little bit of that burden of hospitality. And it will mean more than you could ever imagine. And we actually like being in the chaos of family. Like, not all the time. I like my peace. <laughs> but um, but it means so much when someone invites me over. Absolutely. Um, and so I would just say, like, just be attuned to that. Because sometimes we get so, like, tunnel vision of where we are in life. But notice those people, especially if they don't have roommates and live alone. And, and just invite us over. It yeah, might be awkward. I would argue that there's more life change biblically in living rooms and couches than in quote unquote organized spaces of religion. Mm. Um, you know, I'm sure there's somebody out there that's walking through his Bible right now. It's going to comment on the video <laughs> on how I'm wrong. But I just even in the life of Jesus, how many times do you see him commissioning people into uh, into ministry through teaching 
around the table. And he even invites himself over. Yeah. Like Zacchaeus is like, I'm going to your house for dinner. (laughs) Try that on Sunday in the three minute break. Just find someone and be like, I'm going to your house for dinner. Now I will say he also showed up at the temple consistently. So like, I want to make sure that I'm I'm clear and consistently on time. But (laughs) next, next segment. Okay. Speaking (laughs) of on time, believe it or not, we're almost at the time where Pastor Joey's going to release the kids. Um, Release the hounds. (laughs) So I didn't get to half of the questions that people submitted. And I'm so sorry, but I'm so thankful for all of these questions. And we may end up. We may end up doing a little follow-up next week. We'll, we'll see what that looks like. But um, I know you already <laughs> mentioned it a little bit. But um, before we go where we're going, is there any like kind of scattered together final pastoral wisdom that you want to offer before we talk about what's coming up? Um, honestly, Pastor Ashley, the, the imaging that stuck with me is that mustard seed. I'm wearing a mustard seed necklace. There you because go. Jimmy and Roxy heard me complain that I didn't get one as a kid. And they bop? showed up on Sunday with bop? a necklace. You hear that, Bob? <laughs> Ashley's dad's yeah. in the house. Yeah. So, um, 20 years later, Bob. <laughs> Thank you for Jimmy thinking it was just 20 up. years. <laughs> I love um, it. But yeah, yeah. Mustard. What about mustard? Sorry. No, I, I just, I'm such a visual person. That's just the way that I live my life. Like if you walk into my, my, uh, my study space, which is slash a pottery studio slash it's got all my spray paint slash got all my cameras slash papers everywhere. Um, I'm such a visual person. And the picture that I keep getting in my head is this idea of mustard seeds being, being grown in pods and being, uh, separated in pods. So scattered in pods. So man, just that picture alone is my heart that people walk away with this idea that yes, we are scattered, but we can scatter together. We can choose to be scattered together. Um, And I hope that people are encouraged to find their people. Yeah, yeah. Anyone else want to do any scattered together wisdom? I know that was a very well borrow my kids at your house, you're available. I can help get you started. Your children. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, where where are we headed? I know you already. Well, I got a little bit of a surprise um, that's kind of got let off the bag in some areas of the internet. So if you're pretty tuned in, you might know. But this Sunday is exciting because it's our partners' uh, annual meeting. So if you're a partner in the room, we'll have an annual meeting right after service. If you don't know what it means to be a partner. Um, just jump on the next step page and we can give you some information that way so you can join us on our next our next one. Uh, but Sunday morning, uh, who, our founding pastor, David Dukeson, will be with us sh- sharing the word. Yeah. So we're really excited about that. Yeah, that's exciting. Yeah. Nobody yeah. excited? I'm excited. <laughs> Let's go. All right. So we're excited about that. Um, and then the following Sunday, we begin a journey through the life of Jesus as it pertains specifically through his uh, temptation season. Mm-hmm. So uh, I've just been um, wrecked by the idea that he didn't have to, mm-hmm. but he chose to be led into temptation in order that you and I could have a blueprint of how to navigate temptation. And there's issues of identity revealed. There's issues of appetite revealed. There's issues of power revealed. And ultimately, a blueprint by which I believe you and I can learn how to walk through temptation seasons being pushed forward into the next season instead of taking what should have been 40 days and turning them into 40 years. So I cannot 
wait. I'm so excited. <laughs> yeah, we're excited too. So start thinking of your questions. Absolutely. And, um, and we're not entirely sure what Pastor David will be preaching on Sunday, nope. but we will talk about it next week. <laughs> we trust his heart. Life. We trust yeah, his we heart. We do. <laughs> That's what I think we were annoying him. He kept being like, what should I talk about? And we were like, we trust your heart. Just ask the Holy Spirit. <laughs> um, but we will be... Here Sunday, he'll be preaching at 9 and 11, and then we'll be right back, Overtime Live, 6.30 dinner on Wednesday, and we'll start at 7.15, hopefully. But, uh, yeah. We'll see you next week. Come on, make some noise. <laughs>